the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello Stephen, how are you doing? Hello Alec, I'm doing fine. Good, good. Thanks Stephen for, for taking the opportunity to, to sit down with us and, and, and have a chat about this. Um, wet weather planning here, particularly in Ayrshire, has been a big deal this year and it is something that we wanted to, to cover within the slurry management and application project that we're, we're currently working on. So no, I really appreciate this. No, that's not a problem. I always uh, like to take the opportunity to be able to give advice and uh, provide information to the farming community. And obviously, this is a pretty um, unusual year for, for a lot of industries and, and a lot of people across Scotland. But but how are things on the ground with SEPA? Yeah, thing, things on the ground have changed uh, quite significantly throughout the year. Uh, you know, initially at the start of the year, you know, the end of December, November, December last year, coming into January, uh, we were experiencing extremes amount of uh, wet weather conditions. And uh, we had... Uh, just in February, put in place a, a proviso uh, for farmers to enable them to spread slurry on waterlogged ground. Uh, once we brought that into into play, uh, all of a sudden weather changed, which uh, it normally does. It started to dry up, and then uh, the pandemic hit, and that resulted in uh, SEPA staff uh, basically being curtailed to uh, their own home. Uh, all SEPA offices were closed. And uh, we had to think of alternative ways of actually working with uh, the farming community. Uh, that that's, that has been a challenge, to be perfectly honest, Alec. Uh, we've had to develop ways of uh, trying to communicate with the farmers. And one of the mechanisms we're trying to use is through these podcasts and through videos that we're working with Farming Water Scotland and yourselves, but also uh, just using different types of technology to uh, undertake inspections of new farm structures which we hadn't done in the past, and that was uh, using virtual techniques, uh, such as WhatsApp video, uh, FaceTime, and also photographs, uh, just to enable uh, those uh, Scottish grant-funded uh, new structures to be signed off so uh, farmers could claim their grants. So things have changed. Uh, we are now starting to get uh, back to normal, uh, so we are, and we're starting to get staff out and about again, uh, which is good. Uh, because the farmers were kind of asking where, where we'd been, even though they never want to see SEPA. But uh, they were kind of saying, what, what have you been doing? So, no, it's been good to get staff back on the ground. And you mentioned there that a lot of uh, listeners will know what it is that, that SEPA does. Um, but can you just lay out for those who might be listening that, that aren't aware um, the kind of works that go on uh, for yourself and, and for the organisation more broadly? Yeah, that's not a problem. Uh, well, I suppose talking about my, myself and my, my team, I have a team of uh, 15 staff that uh, specialise in agricultural uh, interaction and engagement. Uh, we're, we work across the, the whole of Scotland. I have staff in 11 different SEPA offices across Scotland. Uh, the team was set up to try and improve consistency in terms of uh, environmental regulation on farms and to provide uh, better education and better advice to farmers. Uh, the staff within the team uh, are all either ex-farmers, sons and daughters, or have been involved in the, the farming community for a considerable period of time. Uh, so they can speak the language, which makes it an awful lot easier, and uh, they understand what the industry is actually about. 
So the team itself, uh, work, we work in priority catchments. We've got uh, 50, 57 priority catchments across the country. And in those catchments, we uh, do one-to-one interaction with land managers. And that t- sort of inspection looks at uh, the steadying issues as well as land-based uh, activities. And we provide advice uh, to the farmers on the environmental legislation that they need to comply with. Uh, like many things, uh, farmers have a lot of legislation that they have to, to comply with and the environmental side of things is sometimes slips down the, the, the ladder a wee bit and it's just a reminder of uh, how they need to operate on the ground and we give some advice on that uh, as we go uh, around those particular farms. Other areas of SEPA work on you know dealing with uh, Scottish water, dealing with larger industries in terms of pollution prevention, uh, whilst we also look at uh, uh, natural flood management as uh, has come into our remit. And we also have the science side of SEPA, uh, which uh, undertakes ecology and water samples and uh, enables us to, to get a picture of what uh, the environment's actually like, uh, which we need to report to to Scottish Government on a regular basis. So that, that's the kind of uh, operations uh, that SEPA actually undertake. Good, good. Uh, and I mentioned at the, the very start there, this uh, podcast will, will feed into the, the series slurry management and application that we've been doing as part of the Farm Advisory Service. Is it your perception, Stephen, that last year uh, or, or, or January, February this year was particularly wet? Are we likely to see the same kind of scenario this year again? Um, and, and what are you guys doing to, to prepare for that? Yeah, we, we have noticed over the last probably since about 2011, to be perfectly honest, that uh, the winters are getting progressively wetter uh, and coming into the spring is getting progressively wetter. Uh, we talk about last year, November, December, early January, we had 605 millimetres of rain in Ayrshire uh, over that time period, where we'd usually expect on a, an average year to somewhere in the region between 350 and 400 millimetres of rain. So that, that, that has a, a consequence uh, on the, the farmers and especially livestock farmers and those that are uh, working in a, a slurry operation and of silage pits. Because a lot of the, the rainfall that falls onto pits and falls onto yard areas ends up in the slurry storage systems. Uh, and with that excessive amount of rain, then it does cause problems in terms of uh, having adequate storage. And that last year resulted in us uh, going back and having a look at the regulations to see what we could actually do in terms of uh, giving some kind of leeway to the farming fraternity that were under pressure, especially where there may be uh, welfare issues or point source type pollution issues going to be arising. Uh, so we had to give some kind of dispensation from the, the control, well, the general binding rule uh, 18, which uh, looks at not applying slurry when ground is waterlogged, snow covered or uh, frozen. So we had to kind of draft some uh, position statements for Scottish Government, uh, liaise with the, the Rural uh, Payments and Protection Directorate, I scurped, uh over NBZ areas uh, with regards to having some kind of dispensation in there. But we, we, we introduced that in late February and all of a sudden, dramatically and remar- uh, remarkably, the, the weather changed and the ground started to dry up from March on to, to April. And a lot of farmers didn't have to use that dispensation, which was good, but it was it was there in case it was needed. So what we have been, you, sorry, Alec, what were you going to say? Uh, no, no, sorry. Um, you, you may be coming on to it. Um, and do you 
foresee having to use the same kind of protocol again this year? At this present point in time, we don't. We have we have been we've been using the, the, that protocol on and off uh, over particularly bad uh, winters. I think there was one on 11, 12, 14, and then 17, and then 20. We had particularly wet winters. So we, we don't necessarily get ourselves uh, set up to, to introduce that sort of dispensation. Since 2011, when we first uh, started to see the, the the pressures that some of these livestock farmers were under, especially Asher and Dumfries and Galloway, with regards to slurry storage, we started to do these uh, one-to-one farm inspections within what we call our priority catchments. And the priority catchments in Ayrshire are the River Eyre, the River Doon, uh, the Irvin, the Garnock, uh, some of the coastal catchments up around Salcoats and the Girvan, for example. Now, within those catchments, we've been working with farmers and you know identifying uh, areas that they could poss- possibly improve on their steading to uh, help with maybe shedding clean water away from dirty yard areas. Uh, repairing roof rooms and downcomers to make sure they uh, discharge into a drain and not onto a yard which then goes into the slurry storage system but we've also been uh, working with farmers over putting additional slurry storage on farms and uh, since 2011 we've seen a considerable increase in the amount of storage and stores that have been put onto Ayrshire and Dumfries and Galloway farms uh, and those uh, facilities are still going in at this present point in time some under grant and some under the farmer's own uh, financial schemes. So uh, we've seen a vast improvement uh, in these particular areas. I cast my mind back uh, to when I first started in SEPA, around about 1995. We worked in the water of coil catchment in Ayrshire. And at that time, probably the average slurry storage was about three months on the, these, the farms in that particular catchment. Uh, we went back in that catchment probably about 2018, and our you know our average storage in those particular farms, going back to those same farms, between five and six months slurry storage. So farmers have been increasing slurry storage over a, a period of time, which is great, which uh, enables them to ap- apply that material, that good organic fertilizer, at the right time and in the right conditions. But there will be some years when ultimately rainfall is excessive, and they will be struggling. So, Stephen, in the scenario where, say, I'm an Ayrshire farmer and the rain is battering down and my slurry storage is just not going to hold at all, what uh, what are my options? Okay, what we would normally do is we would work quite closely with uh, the National Farmers uh, Union of Scotland uh, and we would take uh, advice from them because they get their representatives usually contact them and say, look, I'm struggling, I'm, I'm under pressure here. Uh, is there anything that you can do? Can you talk to SEPA? And we, we would take that, uh, that advice on board. And what we'd be saying to farmers would be, uh, you know, ultimately the last resort at the, at the present point in time is to consider application to land, especially when ground conditions are unsuitable. We would ask them to have a look to see if there were other options, uh, maybe a neighbour that may maybe not use in a store or maybe a neighbour's got a, a new store which is uh, excessively large and maybe some spare capacity in it at that present point in time. If that's unfeasible, are there any uh, anaerobic digestion plants that may be looking for that sort of feedstock uh, in close proximity to the to their farm? Could they take it there uh, and you you know get the, the benefit out of it from that perspective? If that fails, then uh, I think we are looking at uh, some kind of... Uh, dispensation with the farmer 
and try to work around those particular areas. Uh, ultimately, we would like them to have considered removing some uh, clean water that may be falling into those particular areas by I initially improving, uh, say, downcomers and rifferones, uh, trying to shed uh, surface water, which is clean away from dirty yard areas, uh, which sometimes they can do, sometimes they can't do. Those are probably uh, mitigation measures that need to be undertaken during uh, early spring, summertime, uh, in one year for the benefits on the next year and the year after that. So those are the sort of things that uh, we would be looking at. If those failed, then we would be looking to have some kind of, uh, say, dispensation, and we would work, the, work with the farmers on that. Uh, the kind of thing that we'd be looking at would be to get the farmer to identify probably his driest fields uh, mm -hmm. on a steading or uh, on, on the unit itself and look to see how much slurry that he would need to apply to give him maybe a, a working capacity of three to four weeks. Uh, we wouldn't want to see any more than probably 20 meters cubed per hectare applied and we would make sure that they had a good buffer away from water courses. Uh, probably uh, a minimum of about 30 metres and also probably look towards uh, having very gently sloping fields uh, just to try and prevent any runoff uh, entering the water environment. So those are, those are the sort of things that we have deployed previously and ultimately if pressure's got uh, excessively bad, say this incoming winter, then uh, we may have to look at deploying those again. In terms of um, farm steading planning and, and rams maps, how important are they as a, a management tool for wet weather planning? Uh, I think that, that that's some of the most important aspects that we look at when we're out on the steading. Uh, you know, we would often say to farmers that uh, just repairing a roof row and a downcomer and making sure it goes into a drain uh, will save a considerable amount of uh water say shedding onto a yard area or collection yard area for a dairy system that then flows into the slurry storage system you know some of these sheds are excessively large now and uh, even half the the side of a roof coming off that can uh, exacerbate the, the slurry storage system quite quickly farmers would say to you as well you know that the cows rub up against that downcomer and it gets broken all the time it's it's it you know it's a continual uh, maintenance problem these are these are simple and cheap uh, maintenance uh, and mitigation measures that can be put in place to to prevent that uh, you know lightly can that light that clean water entering the dirty water system and it may be just they need to protect that downcomer moving forward so those uh, even the using a, a sleeping policeman or some kind of uh, mechanism to divert clean water away from dirty yards is is very very important uh, because ultimately what we're trying to do is uh, maintain the sturdy storage capacity that they have on the farm and if they can remove any of that particular water, then well and good. What farmers also need to think about is what other options are available to them. Uh, we have a, a system of, uh, called the Constructed Farm Wetland. Okay, it takes up a wee bit of uh, land uh, away from the, the farming system, but it enables farmers to shed what we call lightly contaminated drainage, i.e. say winter runoff from a silage pit uh, or winter runoff from a midden that would be potentially being collected on the farm to this constructed farm wetland system that treats it and then discharges it to the water environment. Just by removing, say, for example, a, a silage pit, a normal-sized silage pit, uh, you can probably 
over the winter period from that silage pit going into your slurry storage system probably have a ring or maybe more of uh, rainwater and uh, to shed that away uh, into a constructive farm wetland uh, it will give you that extra capacity. We've tried to do some calculations but each farm is individual uh, and each farm operates in a different manner but we've kind of looked at either removing that rainwater from a silage pit can probably take a farm that may be sitting at three months slurry storage up to five, five and a half months slurry storage depending on the size and the operation or even uh, potentially roofing but that's a particularly costly uh, area to go into. In terms of rams, uh, risk assessment for manures and slurries, uh, they're very very important uh, and these are tools which just aren't for the farmer but are for the contractor that actually uh, appears on the farm to uh, spread the slurry or the or the or the manure. Uh, <clears throat> each farmer that has a rams should, in theory, be providing his contractor with that rams because it provides him with information on the fields, the slope of the field, proximity of water courses, and therefore uh, the contractor will know uh, where the the potential risky areas actually are. Uh, and maybe where he needs to maybe provide a bigger buffer on us, maybe a, a more sloping field, or he may need to just be because of soil conditions in that particular time a, a larger buffer area. So they they, they are important, uh, and they they do need to be used on, on a regular basis. And uh, you touched very very briefly there on the use of grass margins and buffer strips in wet conditions. What specifically is it that makes them so so valuable? Well, in wet, in wet conditions, when the ground's waterlogged and uh, you apply anything, uh, whether it be silage, whether it's from a silage pit or whether it be uh, slurry, uh, any further rainfall on that uh, generates a flow uh, in the field. So, <clears throat> in essence, once you get a sheet flow going over the surface of the field, uh, it will take. Uh, what the farmers actually applied onto that field, so the slurry. Uh, so the nutrients and phosphates and uh, bacteria that uh, have, he's applied will end up in the water environment. Uh, the minimum buffer that is required, as we all know, is 10 metres uh, from a water from the top of the bank. Uh, but when you're talking about when ground conditions are a wee bit wetter uh, and maybe you're having to apply on a maybe a, a more steeper slope in the field, or a bigger incline, uh, farmers and contractors should be considering uh, maybe giving a little bit bigger buffer uh, so as to prevent any runoff coming off that particular field uh, after a rainfall event, especially when ground conditions are unsuitable. Uh, but th these are really extreme situations. You know, ultimately, <clears throat> we'd be looking to farmers to, to comply with that uh, general binding rule 18 and to be spreading their organic fertilizers when ground conditions are actually uh, more suitable. And that then leads on to farmers need to plan, excuse me, uh, for these uh, situations. You know, I think one of the things farmers should be doing is not waiting till their slurry store is two inches off the top before considering uh, they need to apply onto land. They should be looking at it as a, a whole winter planning process, keeping an eye on the, the slurry store, how it's building up, uh, what the forecast like for the next week or so or two or three days what can ground conditions are actually look at the like at this period in time are they going to improve uh, and take the opportunities when you know the ground conditions are not waterlogged they're not frozen 
uh, and maybe can apply a bit of slurry onto the ground. Uh, that is only when they're under extreme, you know, coming to that period of maybe getting under pressure. As I said earlier, most of the farmers that we're we're going out to see, they've increased their slurry storage, and uh, will be in a position to get them through most of the winter period without being under too much pressure. Do we know, Stephen, um, how many days are required for improved grass pasture to to take up slurry um, or for it to, to dissipate into into the soil? That is a very, very good question. Uh, not off the top of our heads. and it, I suppose it depends exactly on the type of soil structure that you have. If you've got a sandy soil, uh, we have seen uh, a slurry application going on to a really sandy area and we find the consequence of that either in groundwater or within a water course within four to five days, depending on uh, the permeability of that particular area, if it's uh, been over applied. Uh, in a more loamy type soil in a clay, so well a clay soil, uh, the likelihood is it's going to be uh, end up being a sheet flow. Uh, but ultimately, when farmers are applying slurry, they're applying it. Uh, they're applying that as a nutrient uh, for the crop that's going to be in that field. Uh, farmers will always say that they do see the benefit of applying it at any time of the year, uh, more so uh, in the spring. Uh, so you know, ultimately. We're not 100% sure how long it takes to dissipate, uh, but that's, that's a very good question. Maybe some research should be done into that. And Stephen, mo- moving slightly away from um, the, the land on the farm um, and back towards the, the, the storage of, of the slurry, do you have a, a preference for a particular type of storage on the farm? What, what seems to work best in your opinion? <sighs> I don't really have any preference, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I think it comes down to uh, now, basically, the farmer's perception and what he perceives as the best option. And it should always be uh, based on his decision, what he thinks is best for his uh, particular farm. For me, myself, uh, I would always like to have uh, a slurry system which is covered. Uh, It's probably going to be more costly to do that in terms of maybe providing uh, slurry storage below ground. But in essence, by covering it, uh, I'm removing any potential for rainwater to enter that particular system and therefore reduce my overall uh, slurry storage capacity. Uh, I think when it comes down now to what farmers would like to see, the farmers obviously have to look at the financial aspect of it. And when you look at the financial aspect of it and you weigh everything up, probably lagoons are probably the most common thing which are going on to farms at this present point in time. Uh, followed by above ground stores and then uh, ultimately uh, new sheds with below ground slurry storage. But in essence, SEPA doesn't have any preference. I don't have any preference uh, per se. Uh, just if I was on my own unit, uh, I'd be looking to have as much below ground as I possibly could. And you mentioned covering your slurry store there. Um is that a viable option for the majority of towers in Scotland? It is an option. Uh, what we what we really would need to look at is uh, the the age of the store, firstly, and whether it is still structurally sound to support a roof. Uh, and there are various different ways of putting roof. You can have uh, flexible roofs, or you can have rigid roofs. The reason for roofing is twofold. One we would always suggest that uh, or recommend that roofing of a slurry store 
is a good idea because it's removing that rainfall uh, that you get during that winter period. And in certain parts of Ayrshire and in Dufferin and Galloway, you could, in a some in a winter period, you can at least write off your first ring in an above ground store just for rainwater. Uh, by roofing, you're excluding that, so you're actually increasing your slurry storage capacity. Unfortunately, <clears throat> the actual roofing of the structure it, it can be quite costly, uh, and that kind of a financial impact and aspect. But I think you've got to weigh that up over the <clears throat> over a number of years in terms of how much money a farmer would actually be uh, putting out to spread that extra ring each year, uh, in terms of diesel move, diesel in terms of tractor parts, in terms of time management, and also the impact that's actually having on his ground and soil conditions. Because the more often that you actually uh, go over your soil when it's waterlogged, then the greater risk of compaction, uh, and compaction is a a particularly problematic issue in certain farms uh, with regards to crop growth and uh, crop sustainability. So there, there are various things that need to be weighed up against uh, <clears throat> not putting a roof on and saying it's too expensive. Uh, it's weighing up the other negative effects that it could have in and around the steading and you know <clears throat> diesel emissions and things like that. The other aspect of having a roof is that you're pre preventing emissions. And with the big chat now within uh, agriculture about climate change and net zero, these are one of the, the options that maybe will become available as a, a mitigation measure. So by roofing, you exclude water and you reduce your emissions. And uh, so this might sound like a, a silly question, Stephen. If, if I were to put a roof on a slurry store, Presumably, the the water is going to run off that roof. Are are there any considerations for where that water should then go that is just um, lying around the slurry store? Yeah, there there are methods of actually removing that water from from the roof. Uh, the 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 rigid roofs uh, have a like a, a downpipe. I've seen in some stores down south uh, where all the water goes to one particular point, and because it's clean, it can be discharged into a field tile drain. Uh, the more flexible type roofs actually have a pump uh, as the slurry comes up and the rainwater starts to to, <clears throat> to form in the, the actual roof itself the, the flexible uh, it causes like a dish there's a pump system and you can pump that water out onto the field or into a field tile drain it's clean water and therefore can be shed away uh, and these, these are things that need to be put in place if you consider the, the, the installation of a roof system and uh, Stephen, with regards to the the recent sustainable agriculture capital grant, um, you know, putting a putting a roof on your slurry store was was certainly an eligible option there. Um, were there any options under the grant with regards to the application of slurry that you were particularly encouraged by seeing there? Um, something that you would encourage people to to take a look at. Yeah, I, I, I was, I was, I really liked what they were putting forward uh, in terms of, uh, say, movement away from the, the use of splash plates uh, to the more beneficial use of dribble bars, trailing shoes, and injection systems. Uh, moving from splash plates, you know, basically by throwing the the material up into the air, uh, sorry, up into the air, your 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 emissions are quite high. Uh, and you're losing some of the benefit of that particular organic fertilizer in terms of uh, 
when the ammonia hits the ground and then you know forms into its nitrate components you're losing some of that already uh you know in essence some of the research that defra's come out with you know moving from a splash plate to a trailing shoe or to a dribble bar can save gaseous emissions into the air by between 50 and 70 percent which is quite significant uh when you've got so much slurry being applied uh, across uh, an area of airshore and facing galloway in terms of what the best option is it really comes down to uh, i think the farmer's perception and perspective of what he actually wants in the ground dribble bars are good uh trailing shoes are good they all have their benefits uh i kind of would edge i would always edge towards the trailing shoe in terms of the you know the materials being applied onto the onto the soil and into a slice of or we slice in the ground so that you know that you can see the the effects of that nearly uh instantly as i would say uh, in terms of days instead of weeks uh, and also there's the potential to get the if you have to get livestock back onto pasture you get it back onto pasture an awful lot quicker than uh, a dribble bar uh, injection injections probably suitable for some but not all uh, and it really depends on your depth of uh, topsoil that you have and how deep you're actually going to inject. You know, it probably wouldn't be appropriate for some parts of the Galloway area where you've got very uh, shallow topsoils and a lot of rock. Uh, where so where maybe some parts in Ayrshire it is it is feasible to do injection system. Again, each of the systems it probably depends on how much money the farmer has available. Uh, because they, they do get more costly as you go from dribble bar to trailing shoe, just with the technology that's involved, and then on to an injection system. Certainly my my read on it as a consultant that was preparing these applications was that there was an awful lot of interest in dribble bars in particular. Um, and I have heard the issues of uh, injectors and depth of soil before. Um, that is something that we, we came across this year. Um, so no, that, that that's good to to get your thoughts. I, th- I think what one th- one other thing I like about uh, moving away from a splash plate and vacuum tanker to a you know say a dribble bar uh, or a trailing shoe or injection system using the umbilical, it reduces again the pressure on the ground uh, in terms of uh, vehicle movements and uh, tanker movements, and also that therefore has the potential to reduce the, the any compaction. Uh, or the amount of compaction that will happen in fields and uh, grass paddocks. So, you know, there there are multiple benefits of uh, moving away from a, a tanker and splash plate to uh, these uh, more technological, or what we would term probably more a position technique for application of slurry, if you could have such a thing, because they're applying the material directly beneath the the dribble bar or the trailing shoe, whereas a, with the vacuum tanker, it's more broadcast application. And would uh, would these methods of application be more responsible in a wet weather condition? In terms of uh, preventing pollution, yes, yeah, they 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 probably are uh, to be honest. But again, it will come down to spreading rates uh, and, of course, field conditions and the type of field you're actually applying it on. Uh, you've got more control definitely, uh, of where you're actually applying the material uh, using uh, you know, the, the better precision techniques than a, than a vacuum tanker and a splash plate. Uh, but ultimately, what we really want to see farmers is being able to store the material 
on the farm for as long as they possibly can and therefore to apply it onto the ground to get the best benefit of that material in terms of a growth medium, uh, a growth promoter should I say. Uh, so ultimately if we can over a period of time get farmers where we're, we're nearly are in Ayrshire and Dumfries and Galloway getting more farmers moving towards the six month type containment on farm, they're going to see the benefit of that uh, over the long run uh, in terms of getting it onto the ground uh, under better conditions therefore not damaging the soil, not damaging the crop, uh, getting more response uh, from the material that's going on, but also uh, probably in their pocket as well, because they may not need the same amount of inorganic fertilizer to be brought onto the farm uh, to enhance the growth of their, their first cut silage. And uh, Stephen, we've seen Scottish government um, provide a, a raft of environmental schemes in the past, uh, We've, we've seen rural priorities, the agri-environment climate scheme. We've now seen the Sustainable Agriculture Capital Grant. Um, and, and there is great speculation and interest in uh, a potential green recovery going forward. Are you hopeful that Scotland's on the right track? And maybe could, could you speculate as to, to what you would like to see um, in the future? Yeah, I, I think the... the the pilot scheme that they've introduced uh, and uh, I think that was a step forward uh, to be honest uh, I think it was it, it, it was providing options that SEPA had been asking for had requested three weeks previously uh, we'd always wanted the Scottish government to consider things like roofing consider better methods of application as well as uh, the the schemes that they had in terms of uh, diffuse pollution mitigation measures uh, things like alternative watering and fencing and stuff like that. Uh, but also, you know, you, you just move away from uh, the livestock sector and you look at what other options are there as well uh, in terms of maybe energy efficiency and uh, better use of energies and better that sort of thing, even within the dairy sector, but also uh, tractor tires and the change in use of tractor tires. I think these are all uh, good options uh, for the future. Uh, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I would like to see that scheme being developed uh, a wee bit further, uh, maybe uh, ultimately working closely with the NFUS and with consultants to, to see what other options there may be available on the horizon uh, and whether those are technically feasible within Scotland uh, and what benefits they would actually bring. But with the, the targets the Scottish Government have set uh, to get net zero uh, in such a in, in theory, such a quick time, and uh, with agriculture potentially being able to uh, reduce those over a period of time, and you've got a couple of those uh, climate change reports that are coming out recently. Uh, I think the options that were on the table through that grant scheme are, are, are what's going to be required moving forward. And I would like to think that Scottish Government uh, will be able to finance some of those. Uh, and be able to finance some of the, the mitigation measures within the, within that scheme, uh, which will improve uh, the environmental performance and the green recovery within the agricultural sector. Fantastic. I'm, I'm conscious, Stephen, that we, we've now had you for, for, for over half an hour um, as we're, we're recording this. Um, so I'll, I'll begin to, to wrap up if that, that's okay with yourself. That's fine, Alec. At the very beginning of this podcast, Stephen, you, you mentioned the uh, the Farming uh, and Water Scotland initiative. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what's what's involved there? 
Yeah, this this was a, an initiative that came about. Oh, I'm trying to think now. It must dating back maybe five years, four to five years. SEPA had been working in priority catchments uh, since about 2011. And what we had found uh, at the very start of that particular piece of work is that we needed to engage uh, with land managers on the ground, uh, either through workshops, through attending events, and we also needed a mechanism of getting uh, information out to those land managers uh, in a paper format which would be beneficial to them. Now, we had worked with the SRUC previously, uh, attending events, we'd worked with the National Farmers Union, attending workshops and evening events, and we decided to, with SRUC, uh, lobby Scottish Government to see if we could get some funding to have a, a mechanism where we could initially go to as many uh, agricultural shows as we possibly could over a three-year period, uh, and also to provide uh, information for farmers uh, on the rules and regulations regarding uh, land-based activities. So uh, the general binding rules, uh, things like the application of fertilizer, livestock activities on the ground, use of pesticides, waste sheep dip, uh, that sort of thing. So we, we wanted to get messages out to those farmers uh, in an easy format. And luckily enough, uh, SRUC uh, got some funding from Scottish Government to uh, start a Farming and Water Scotland initiative. Now initially that was one person from SAC and one person from SEPA uh, taking control of uh, organisation uh, of attending events, getting stands together, and then pulling in experts from each of those organisations to talk about a specific topic or topics at uh, an event or at a, uh, a farm show, uh, which was working very, very well. I think in total, uh, Farming and Water Scotland got to nearly 100 events over that three-year period, which is a, a mammoth task uh, all, all across Scotland, small ones and large ones. But at, at that time, we, we realised we needed to be able to get the information out to farmers. And uh, <clears throat> through Farming and Water Scotland, we pulled together with the National Farmers Union, with SRUC, with Scottish Government, what we call the Know the Rules Guide and Mind the Gap sticker. And those were simplistic ways of trying to get messages out to the farming community. We did it on a hardback system, first of all, and then realised that we could probably reach farmers with new technology through having a web page. So we, SRUC uh, helped develop the web page for Farming and Water Scotland. Uh, it's held on the S, uh, part of uh, the SRUC system. Uh, that web page guides farmers uh, to all the, the guidance they, they require in terms of uh, what the rules and regulations are, what new technologies are available, what the systems we've uh, trialled and put in place with regards to alternative watering, what mechanisms are in place for that. So it is uh, a, a guidance website now for farmers, uh, which is uh, updated on a regular basis. It's a very useful tool. Uh, it also points farmers in the direction of where grants may be available uh, or were available and uh, what options were actually available and gives them information and directs them to what SEPA does on the ground in terms of one-to-one uh, -one engagement. So Farming Water Scotland is required uh, within the whole of Scotland. Uh, it kind of covers a lot of the information that used to be within the old PEPFA code. That's the Code of Good Agricultural Practice. Uh, I think that was last updated 
uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s. So, you know, Scotland was required to have a code of good agricultural practice. I think much of the information we now hold in Farming and Water Scotland and other uh, farm advisory service websites is that code of good agricultural practice uh, that farmers should be trying to adhere to. So it was a great, it's a great initiative. It's an initiative that still needs to, to move forward. Uh, it's the tools there that the farmers should be looking at. And I think, uh, especially farmers, as they become more aware of the, the technology and the better use of technology and young farmers coming in are more apt to using web pages and this, that and the other, that's where they'll get the information. Uh, and that is uh, going to be beneficial to them in the long run. Good, good stuff. No, it sounds sounds uh, very worthwhile taking a look at. And I, I ask I ask this to everybody, Stephen. Um, final question for the podcast: is, is there anything within the industry, Stephen, that you've seen recently um, across any sector that you think uh, more people should be paying attention to with uh, with regard to? Uh, wet weather planning, um, slurry management, um, or uh, or um, kind of proactive steps that farmers can take um, on on their own farm. Yeah, I, I, I do think there's potential for increased use of constructed farm wetlands on a lot of our more larger intensive dairy units and probably uh, beef units. I've uh, been working quite closely with uh, some dairy farmers recently uh, across the country uh, who are currently enlarging or uh, putting in new constructed farm wetlands. And the, the reason they're doing this is that the, they've got so much lightly contaminated drainage uh, arising from silage pits uh, once the clamp's opened and that rainfall's getting into contact with it. They don't really want it going into the slurry system. Uh, they want to deal with it in some other form or fashion. And these constructed farm wetlands enable them to do that without really having to think too much about it because they're designed to, to take that kind of and treat that kind of drainage. It also means that uh, they're not diluting uh, the, the slurry that they're producing uh, with the uh, water. Uh, so they're, they, they're getting a better understanding of what the nutrient benefit is within their slurry. Uh, so they're, they're starting to plan better in terms of nutrient budgeting and, uh, and you know, actually implementing proper nutrient budgeting, so soil testing, uh, along with uh, maybe uh, slurry testing, uh, and knowing the benefits of that and applying it to the ground and to the crop when it's actually required. So I think there is potential, uh, especially if we start to get uh, more prolonged wetter periods or wetter periods at specific times of the year uh, for the use of these constructed farm wetlands across uh, a lot of agriculture. Uh, it also would mean maybe say for a farmer that was maybe struggling at uh, four to five months, four and a half months slurry storage, by removing that lightly contaminated drainage from a slurry storage system, he may well have maybe six, six and a half months slurry storage and wouldn't have to then consider increasing or putting on new slurry storage systems onto the farm uh, just by using a, a constructed farm wetland. So I think that that's possibly something that I think farmers should consider in the long term uh, and it, it's a simplistic process it doesn't need a lot of management once they're installed they they don't need a lot of uh, <clears throat> looking after uh, more so than pumps and sumps where you do need to make sure that they're actually operating on a, on a daily basis 
And finally, Stephen, is there any kind of emergency contact number for SEPA, um, for farmers specifically that, that might be having issues with their sludge storage that might be under pressure as we move into a period of increasing wet weather? SEPA does have a, an emergency contact number on the website. <clears throat> uh, however, most farmers will know somebody within SEPA, uh, especially maybe somebody from my team, especially farmers within priority catchment. So those farmers that are probably the more intensive areas uh, of, of Scotland could content, contact them directly or they could contact me directly or through their NFUS rep uh, contact uh, SEPA. Uh, most of the regional reps have my home contact number and my mobile number, so can get indirect contact with me on a daily basis from the NFUS. Uh, so, yeah, there are people within SEPA. As I say, there's the emergency contact number, which sits on our website. Uh, but if you do know a contact and you have had interactions with SEPA in the past, I would go directly to that particular person. Uh, and they can either liaise with myself or put it up the tree to me, or, as I said, alternatively, if farmers don't want to contact SEPA but are under pressure, they can come via their NFES rep or consultant. It's as easy as that. And most consultants know how to get in contact with myself. As SEPA's land unit manager, I'd be the person that would be responsible for taking forward any dispensation uh, or relaxation of rules and regulations uh, during wet weather or frozen conditions. Stephen Field, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Alec. It was nice to talk to you.